When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Larry H. Russell thanking you once again for downloading another edition of Celtic Speed. Today's presenting sponsor is the leading organic meat brand in the country, American Farmers Network. AFN's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. With production standards that go beyond even USDA regulations, all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork to coarse beef, get the most nutritious and delicious meat at www.americanfarmersnetwork.com. Today is Sunday, July 17th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. It is smoking hot outside in the region. It's 90-plus almost every day. Jeez, is it even hotter in the rumor mill? You know how much I do not like trade hypotheticals and fantasies? But when there's a lot more smoke and you can really feel the heat, well, there's certainly a lot of fire. Fireworks. You certainly owe that analysis. Is the next Boston Celtics super team closer than we believe? Could they really be in the midst of putting together a Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Al Horford triumvirate? Yes. I mean, is this real? From everything we've heard from some of the most trusted sources, Danny Ainge, Celtics management, They are working very hard themselves, going back and forth with Doc Rivers over Blake Griffin. And one would like to believe that if they nabbed him, then by God, that means Russell Westbrook is next. But hold the phones, no pun intended, on that. One thing at a time. A lot of break Griffin talk, so that gives us ample reason to return our dear friend Michael Smith to the show, Los Angeles Clippers color commentator for Fox Sports West. Also, the Summer League. I mean, that. yeah, I mean, yeah. Just a reminder, that wrapped up in Las Vegas. And, of course, the Celts were in Utah a few weeks ago. Jalen Brown, good finish to his Summer League after a fairly up-and-down performance over the two weeks. Boston was out west. Other players, Gesson, Yabasule. They had some moments as well. And Terry Rogier, very good two weeks, especially in Utah. But who... Could he be the internal replacement for Evan Turner? Is that a little bit too much of a stretch? CLNS Radio's own Celtics locker room reporter, Jared White, has caught up with Brian Robb on CBS Boston and Celtics Hub a few hours ago. So we're going to run that very shortly on this broadcast. 
coming up on episode number 166 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and American Farmers Network.com. AmericanFarmersNetwork.com forward slash specials. We are now here on the back nine of summer. So take advantage of grilling season. What's left of it? Plenty left of it, but it goes by pretty quickly once you get past mid-July. Purchase special deals ending this very minute on the most delicious and powerful protein you can get your hands on. Certified organic 100% grass-fed steaks specials over from our friends at AFN. Before we get to Brian, one thing first off. Well, head on over to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. That's blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. Sign up for Blue Apron for delicious ingredients, meat, veggies, organic, and healthy, delivered right to your doorstep. And by going to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed, you get your first three meals free now. Yes, three free meals, free shipping. Your first delivery is less than $30. So you get all that food for just 30 measly dollars, I'm telling you. And you also... Greatly support this show by, again, please going to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. And also like Celticsbeat on Facebook, facebook.com slash Celticsbeat for free entry into a contest to win three consecutive weeks of Blue Apron deliveries. Okay, last few days. Boy, has that heat really gotten me. 90-degree weather almost every single day. It's going to be 97 tomorrow on Monday. Working hard on the golf course, 36 holes a day. So I had to kind of tag in. My man, Jared Weiss, he helped me out big time, sat down with Brian Robb of Celtics Hub and a few other outlets as well, but he was just out in Vegas. So we bore, before we get to the white hot rumor mill, let's put a capper on the Summer League. Take a listen. For a team like the Celtics this year, watching Summer League is a lot of fun. Um, just in terms of the standpoint, you have a lot of Legit, legitimate prospects in the mix. Guys trying to fight for not just roster spots, but spots in the rotation, bigger roles within the team next year. So, you know, for some teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers, for instance, their summer league team is, you know, not a complete waste of time, but close to it. But the Celtics, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of things going on, a lot of busyness, and um, a lot of things you can take away from it. I mean, it was pretty rare that the Celtics roster was like at least 10 guys deep for people that could actually make the rotation this year. We, who were, I assume Jalen Brown is probably going to make the rotation this year, but who else do you th- was the one that really kind of made the leap from like possibly a useful player to clearly is going to be in the rotation? I mean, I think Terry Rozier has been one of the best players in summer league period, um, both in Utah and Las Vegas, and that, you know, he, he showed some strides at the end of last year. He kind of was the guy Brad Stevens turned to in the rotation when uh, Avery Bradley went down um, against the Hawks in the, in the playoffs, and he obviously didn't show a ton there, but he, you know, he, he held his own decently for a rookie. And But the strides he's made offensively has been pretty incredible, I think, in these few weeks. Just, again, it's summer league competition, so you, you take it off a grain of salt, but He's finishing much better around the rim, showing off a lot of nifty spins in the lane. His three-point shot is going down at a pretty good clip, and just his playmaking overall. You know, we we've seen the rebounding, we've seen the defense from him, but his his ability to kind of be in control while he playmakes now um, has been solid, and it's been consistent throughout these two weeks. So he's right there. Um, you know, Jalen Brown has shown his signs, obviously, like you mentioned, um, but I even. He'll get his chance because they need a guy for 15 minutes on the wing. 
behind Crowder, but I could see him going up and down from some spurts throughout his rookie season, um, just given how raw he is. And then guys like RJ Hunter, Jordan Mickey were kind of battling, you know, injuries and stuff. So I'm not sure how much either of them help themselves as far as rotation spots go. And then you have a guy like James Young who may not be, whose odds of being on the roster next year seem to go down just based on his playing time, even though he started to make some shots. Is his is his chances even above zero? I feel like it's like zero point one right now. Yeah, it's I wouldn't you know that seems a little low, Jared, but <laughs> like right now. But like I mean, it's it's too bad, you know, he's still like twenty. So all these other guys are older than him, but you know, you're in your third year. And I mean the biggest problem for him right now is that the Celtics have A, they have a ton of other young players. And B, they're ready to win. So you can't, they can't afford to have a couple guys down at the end of the roster for grooming. They need guys that they can actually count on down there, especially when they're in need of shooting as is. So, you know, that's arguably the one thing he did well in Summer League, but between, you know, his finishing in the lane and just his defense overall, he's clearly not someone that they can rely on in other parts of the game right now. And so, you know, I don't know if they'll cut him outright or just dump him to another team that wants to take a chance on a young prospect. But, you know, barring them shaking up the roster in other ways, it's it's hard to see him around um, on opening night. Yeah, I mean, lucky for him, he at least gets to sit around while they wait to try to use him as a trade uh, piece because he's right. he's clearly a prime candidate to get, to get tagged along for a little bit of salary filler. But let's go back to Terry. He, I thought the, the biggest stride for him, you know, it was great that his three-point shot was going down, although it's – you know, it's not a surprise that he's a solid three-point shooter because he showed some of that at Louisville. Um, but his ball handling in the paint when he's kind of in the trees took a huge stride forward because last year he didn't really get to play a lot of point. It was really he was mostly playing off the ball when he would get to the game last year towards the end of the year, and he looked so much better running pick and roll. Obviously, he was incredible in transition throughout summer league. He's shown good ball handling in transition. He can get around defenders to finish at the rim, but. His ability to come through a screen and roll and then make hesitation dribbles, misdirection, stuff like that. He looks so much more comfortable on the ball just a few months after the season ended. Yeah, absolutely. You're dead on in terms of just, you know, he really hasn't been in that role much as the one because that was Evan Turner's job off the bench last year. And we all know that he's gone now and they didn't, you know, really get a replacement, obviously, right away. So. Everyone was kind of wondering, all right, what are they going to do? Are they going to give the keys to Smart? Are they going to give the keys to Rozier? And Rozier has made the case to be able to run that second unit and create for others. It's again the paint, and it's going to be, you know, it really gives them some flexibility now, I feel like, to have a guy like that, knowing that they're probably going to be trying to start making some moves here, and they might be taken away from that guard core even more, even after Turner's gone if they do pull the trigger on some of these bigger deals and you've at least find a guy who's shown the potential to fill in from a backup one or a backup two standpoint Rosier, and he's still young. He's still got a lot of untapped potential there. And who knows? It's, it's still summer league. Maybe he, you know, falls flat in his face once the regular season starts, but which we've seen happen plenty of times. Yeah. Which we've seen happen plenty of time, but at the same time, the, the level of consistency he's shown throughout summer league makes me think that that's not going to happen because he has the athleticism, he has the physical tools, 
and now the game just seems to be slowing down for him. And it hasn't been like one or two good games. It's been, you know, five or six. And the fact that he's kind of taking shots from all over the court, it's not just like he's able to now pull up from three and he's able to hit a layup. I mean, he's showing some mid-range game. He's showing that his game is becoming more complete. I mean, do you do you think as it stands right now, he's going to be the, the ball handler for the second unit? Yeah, I mean, if given the choice, I would I would put him in that role over Smart because I think Smart, you know, becomes – I think he's a little bit more comfortable off the ball based on what we've seen over the last couple of years. And, you know, he's made strides in, the, in that aspect of the game, but he's still, you know, a 30-something percent shooter from the field. And Rozier just seems to be – he's a little more shiftier. He's a little more capable of creating his own shot and smart is at this point in their respective careers. And so, I mean, I think that Rozier is better suited to have the ball in his hands, and I think that's, you know, I'm sure what happens in training camp, you know, Stevens is going to see both of them in that role and kind of judge for himself when he gets a better look at how they both line in that second unit together. But my my bet would be on Rozier. All right, so the other rookies from last year, uh, Jordan Mickey and R.J. Hunter, two guys that look like they could be just barely cracking into the rotation if they make big strides during the offseason and in training camp. And so far in the summer league, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. Hunter, I mean, Hunter clearly has polished off his offensive game a little bit more. I think his lackadaisical ball handling and stuff like that has definitely improved. And, you know, he, he when he's on, he is an unreal shooter, but he's off half of the time. So... Between those two, do you think that – what did you see – what were your takes on them? Yeah, they both – should fly. Mickey was at a disadvantage, obviously, since he was out for Utah with his shoulder issue. And who knows how you know close to 100% he is at this point, obviously. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be rolling him out there if he was really hurting. Um, but they kind of built – you know, put a lot of onus at him, him playing small around him primarily with him at the five. But – you know, I'm still wondering just, you know, he's still pretty thin down there, Jared, just in terms of muscle and stuff. And his rebounding was something I really wasn't impressed with, um, especially on the defensive end. And so that makes me wonder, you know, you know, he obviously has a shot blocking ability. And he's a mobile big, but is he going to be able to, you know, hold his own amongst the trees down there on the glass for the Celtics on a team where they really need rebounders to begin with you know you have guys that are good for their position but in the front court you know Olenek's not a great rebounder Johnson is can be hit or miss Horford has been on the decline rebounding over as he's hit his 30s and so and Durebko obviously is not exactly Mr. Muscles down there as well so (laughs) you look at all those factors and for Mickey to get in there I think that's something he has to kind of show um which again it's tough to really fully gauge over a week full of action, but that's some area he needs to improve in. As far as Hunter goes, I think, again, like, you know, he he's clearly has a better sense of the game overall than James Young does at this point um, on both ends of the floor, I feel like. But, and he had, you know, he went toe-to-toe with Devin Booker in that one game and, you know, made, they both made some shots in each other's grills and kind of talked to each other. So it was encouraging for him to kind of stick out against a legit NBA player on that front. But bottom line is he just needs to he needs to make shots. He needs to make open shots. He needs to be a, a real threat from three-point range if he wants to stay in the rotation because 
defensively, he doesn't have the, the tools or the physicality to stick with some of the better, you know, two guards in the league, as we saw against the Hawks last postseason. And so the Celtics, you know, for him to stay on the floor, he needs to really make become more of a weapon offensively. He's just he's so far away defensively, and I know uh, Sean Devaney of Sporting News reported earlier today that the Celtics are talking to Chase Budinger about coming in, and Budinger would be getting the role in the offense that I think Hunter would have been trying to get, but they must clearly think that Hunter just isn't there yet. And I still I think they're still kind of concerned about how they can use him as an off-ball shooter because he's just still so used to being an on-ball scorer. And he still has to adapt to being off the ball. And obviously with his defense was just so atrocious against uh, Kyle Korver, who's a really obviously one of the toughest offensive matchups for a two guard in the league. But right. he just seems a little far away and not enough happened in the summer league to make you think coming to training camp that he's going to be a favorite to lock in 10 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll get his chances. and But yeah, the fact, like you said, they're, they're still looking at bringing in, you know, got you know, just straight up shooters. It just tells you that that's what they need right now. They need guys who are showing themselves as capable of hitting open looks. And, and Hunter, to his credit, when we talked to him about it in Vegas, and, you know, Danny Ainge kind of, he's been calling out James specifically, but it kind of goes for Hunter, too, in terms of like, hey, you know, there's a lot of competition here. Guys got to earn their spots. And Hunter kind of said, like, yeah, you know, I'm not offended that they're looking at other shooters. Like, I didn't make enough shots last year. So he's aware. He's a smart guy. He's going to keep working. And, it's just going to matter of, you know, how he's going to fare in training camp or, you know, who knows, again, if these trades going on, how the roster are constructed, he might be one of the casualties going in, but he should feel, you know, better about his roster spot than, you know, James Young at this point. I mean, who knows? They could trade for Blake Griffin and Russell Westbrook and then all of a sudden RJ Hunter is starting. So who right. knows what's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to need a shooting guard at some point if they trade away. Bradley and Smart, et cetera, has been rumored in those deals. All right, so let's talk about the main attraction for Summer League, which was Jalen Brown. Uh, I mean, there was so much hype just around throughout the Summer League just for everybody wanting to see, was he really worth taking over Dragon Bender and Chris Dunn? And if you only watched the first game that he played, you would have thought, wow, this guy can get to the line, but he cannot hit a shot to save his life. And then the steady improvement that he made was incredible. It's very rare to see a Summer League player really make that kind of development over the two weeks. How do you feel about Jalen Brown after a, a couple of weeks of watching him play summer league ball? Yeah, it's been it's been a roller coaster ride, but like you said, it's um, he has shown he showed some nice games in the last two game games overall. Um, the line, the getting to the free throw line stuff has been much chronicled. That's again the one real part of his game that seems to be NBA ready at this point. Um, I do worry a little bit. You know, getting to the line in summer league and getting to the line in an NBA season are two different ball games, and there are probably like seventy foul calls every single summer league game. It seemed like just because guy, you know, these guys are playing in summer league because they're not strictly good at defense by and large. And a Jaylen, guy like Jalen's gonna have trouble when he fouls out in the first quarter of yeah. the first NBA game. <laughs> yeah, there the, there could be you know the the charge issue we saw a little bit, and just the fact that you know. There are a lot of smart defenders that go up in verticality, and rookies may not always get the benefit of the doubt. And Brown's a guy who really likes to go to his right, and that can be somewhat predictable. But again, getting the line, double digits, free throw attempts, and multiple games, nothing to sneeze at. Really good to see him a little more active on the boards as the um, 
the summer league continued as well. And I don't know what you thought, Jared, about him defensively. He showed flashes there, obviously, but there was a bit, you know, I feel like, you know, Jamie Young talked to us about it, wanting to see him kind of get into the ball a little bit more uh, when he is on ball defensively. So I think that clearly the potential is there, but he isn't, you know, he's a long way away from being a guy like Marcus Smart coming into the league who just was, you know, a tenacious defender right off the bat. That's a good juxtaposition because with Smart, it's just like he he had a good read for when the ball was going to move. And you see with Jalen, he's kind of playing catch-up when he's on defense the entire time. And he's still got – he has a lot of strategic stuff he has to learn. Like I was noticing when they were playing uh, Simmons in the first game, Ben Simmons is known for not being able to hit a shot outside of the restricted circle. And he was still guarding Simmons right up under his grill from 18 feet out. And like, that's the kind of situation where you want to play off of him and use your own length to your advantage. And there's a lot of nuanced stuff like that, that's just going to have to teach him during training camp. I mean, the guy literally has only got an NBA coaching for like a couple of weeks now. So there's only so much that they can work on, but right. he he's clearly has the mental makeup to improve in every single area imaginable. And the silver lining, while a lot of the finishes that he even was pulling off, those probably won't even be available to him when he's going against actual NBA centers, as opposed to, like Rashawn Holmes being the best ball stopper that he's faced so far. Um, That's not going to be there, but his footwork driving the lane is phenomenal for a 19 year old three, like some of the best that we've seen come into the summer league. He, he's really good at, uh, he has good long strides. He's able to change direction really like a point guard. I mean, you compare Rogier, who's a pretty phenomenal athlete and has been around for over a year. And I thought Brown's footwork was probably as good, if not even better getting to the lane. So that's going to be a huge advantage for him. And he it's pretty rare for a guy his age uh, as a three to be able to get into the lane. But I think he'll probably be able to do it at the NBA level. It's just that he's going to go up against a big center. He's going to probably get destroyed. But that'll <laughs> that'll be the learning. That's the learning curve for most guys, right? Yeah. And that's, again, just learning to pick your spots. And, you know, he's been able to, you know, he had a few threes. So he was able to keep defenses on if he's able to keep defenses honest that way that will obviously help open up those those driving lanes a little more but yeah bottom line is again really struggled from the field for a lot of the first two weeks but showed some progress and as we've seen through a lot of the other you know candidates at number three outside of chris dunn no one's really had a what you would call a standout week or two in uh summer league so it was. We saw the flashes. We saw some of the the drawbacks, and again, we'll see if he gets enough confidence from Brad Stevens and the coaching staff after training camp to kind of count on regular minutes in the rotation. Since I think the biggest thing for him is to show that he's capable defensively, because that's that seems to be the number one thing that you know Steven looks for in term, when he goes to the young guys uh, in spot minutes. So lastly, who from the other draft picks this year do you see as making the rotation? If uh, uh, I mean, Nader's got to be in the rotation, right? No. Right. But, I mean, he was probably, from t- beginning to end, definitely the best of their second-round picks. I don't know. Again, given how the roster's looking, I'm not sure how any of those guys are going to make the team at this point. Just again, barring trades and stuff, so it'll be interesting to see whether they 
go to Europe, earn some money over there, and the Celtics try to bring him back in a year or two, or whether a guy like Nader or a guy like Demetrius Jackson thinks that they have a chance in the NBA right away and try to, you know, kind of force their way into, you know, an assignment of another team if the Celtics don't want him. So I liked what, you know, Nader was really probably one of the more competent drivers outside of Rosier and Brown on the roster, hit some threes, got into the ball defensively. Ben Teal really trailed off. I was I was intrigued by him at the beginning of uh, Summer League, but he really – He vanished. Yeah, he vanished. They both minutes-wised, and, you know, he kind of got exposed defensively a bunch of times. And you, you clearly can see where the holes were in his game that dropped it down to a late second-round pick. And, you know, Jackson is, again, another guy. He was supposed to be a first-round pick, and he somehow fell to the second round. I, th- I think we saw why. He's, he's yeah. It's going to take him a few years before he can handle the basketball at an NBA level. He he reminded me of, like, a, a lot of Marcus Banks, really. Uh, I, like, I thought I was looking at Marcus Banks in the Demetrius <laughs> Jackson mask. Um, and, obviously, that means he has to be a better shooter and a better ball handler. His... I mean, his his size and athleticism is pretty awesome, but just skill wise, it just is so much more to develop. Him and him and Nader seem like prime candidates for Maine. I feel like Nader they would want him in Maine just because I think they're going to want to call him up at some point. He just he has like the perfect skill set for like the eleventh guy on your roster. He just with his length and size, and then the ability to not only drive but he shoots a three ball pretty well. He looks pretty comfortable shooting the three ball. He just seems like the kind of guy that they might want to get in there for five minutes a game here or there. Yeah, again, then that the question is going to be how you fit these guys in because you're you're not necessarily going to have room for them at the end of the roster. And so if that's the case, then convincing them to go to the D-League is tough because they make so little money there. Yeah. So a lot of these guys want to go get paid like, Cole Iverson did overseas, and obviously Marcus Thornton did it last year as well in Australia, and then you bring him back for another look in Summer League. So that'll be the um, dance they have. But again, some, Nader is definitely the surprise of the week, I feel like. And again, we'll see how the roster plays out, but like, obviously he would be a great candidate. They would probably love to have him in Maine. It's just going to be a matter of if they can, you know, if they keep him on the roster, they'll obviously stash him there, but it's hard to see him making the roster at this point. I mean, you got to get that cold Niverson money. That's that's some right, I mean, cheddar. That tur- you know, Turkey's economy is really, really stable right now. You got to go <laughs> for it. Um, so, any any last thoughts or just wild, ridiculous, random things you saw lurking around during summer league? No, you know, I don't have any good Vegas stories from this year. Overall, it was you always love seeing the. Different jerseys in the arena of random NBA players from over the years. And I did enjoy, we didn't talk about Gershon a lot, but he seemed to have a nice little following there. And there was actually, I will say, in every game in the Cox Pavilion, that's on this way, the smaller one, there was a, a really loud, obnoxious uh, heckler that was a Celtics fan behind their bench. And he would just keep talking the entire game. And it's a pretty quiet arena in there, so you can really hear everything going on. So that was that was the entertaining aspects of the game out there, just seeing 
this guy go get all over the refs and yell out encouragement to the likes of Ben Bentil and Demetrius Jackson <laughs> for 40 minutes straight. So that was that was uh, that's summer league basketball at its finest. I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Blue Apron. As a former restaurateur, I fully endorse Blue Apron. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farmers, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of ingredients required for each recipe, they are reducing waste. They're also helping you portion your meals better. This week, I'm so excited about the recipes I received. Crispy cod and summer squash, chicken burgers and oven fries, roasted pork and summer salsa. And what's really cool is Blue Apron also includes fact sheets on things like quinoa. So I'd like to ask you if you've even been tempted to try Blue Apron. Give it a shot. There's no risk in it for you. Blue Apron is giving you three free meals and free shipping. It's really simple. All you need to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. In that, you will be supporting CLNS Radio, Celtics Beat, and also enjoying fresh, high-quality ingredients that taste better and are better for you. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince. Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website at www.darylcurrent.com. Daryl, Vince had so many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic, grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods. And get it from the country's leading organic meat brand, American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Welcome back into Celtics Beat, and let's waste no time getting to our featured guest segment, Michael Smith, color commentator for the Los Angeles Clippers, on the road, but here, Mike, welcome back in, man. Hi, Larry, how you doing? Glad you're calling on British Open weekend, it's always a fun time. I know, and this is usually the time we get you here. Every single summer, we seem to get you right in the middle of the summer, right in the middle of July, and I hate to kind of do this to you right out of the gate because it is just so odd that I, I get you here at this specific time, but <clears throat> midsummer, it's curious I'm curious to see how your golf game is going, but as I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently between the Celtics and the Clippers brass regarding one Blake Griffin. So let's start off by looking at it on the Clippers' end. There's so many ways to look at it. LA's fallen a bit back on the pack out west. They played great without Griffin at times last year. What do you think is the value on L.A.'s end and maybe breaking up their team and factoring in all of this? Well, let me just say this before I even, you know, say anything about the Clippers. I don't speak for them, obviously. You know, I just I work for them, and I broadcast their games. They don't talk to me. They don't ask me 
you know, Doc's not consulting with me on what I think. So you are here so as an impartial are... basketball observer and one of the most astute minds <laughs> yes. in the game, Michael. Well, uh, I mean, I I get it from like both perspectives. Like, I get it from the perspective that let's say the Clippers have not yet done it. They, they there's there's probably a longing and a wanting from the Clippers side to try and do it with what they got, meaning with Chris Paul and Redick and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. And, and each year they've tried to mix and match the perfect little compliments to them. And one thing or another has happened, whether it's injuries, last year was injuries to Blake and then Chris in the playoffs. And the collapse in Houston the year before is probably the inexplicable thing. That's, that's kind of the thing that, that leaves everybody saying this team could do it because I really felt two years ago that the Spurs were the best team in the playoffs or the best team in the final 20 games of the regular season. Now, this is the year the Warriors win their first title, and yet the Clippers beat them on a buzzer beater in game seven in one of the most historic series you've ever seen. And then, of course, they fell apart against the Rockets up 3-1. So there's all that thinking that if healthy – they can beat the best. And I think part of that narrative is true. But there's also the thinking that, hey, they've tried now for five years. It's time to break it up. And some of these guys' trade value will never be higher. So do you consider the unthinkable, which is trading one of the top ten guys in the league in either Blake or Chris or, you know, whatever you're doing? Do you think they've really reached their potential? Do you think the window's sort of slammed shut on L.A., especially, I don't want to say with age, but maybe even more so now with Golden State sort of blocking, being completely in their path with how good they are? It's really unfortunate because that team blossomed right before their very eyes. And so now all of a sudden, not only do you got to beat the rest of the West, and San Antonio's pretty darn good still, but you got to get past them. And they're, they're going to be not only the Clippers' nemesis, they're going to be anybody's nemesis. They're They're offensively as gifted shooting the basketball as anybody you've ever seen. I played on one of the greatest shooting teams ever. That's my Celtic team my rookie year. We led the league at 83% in foul shooting. That's how good everybody could shoot the ball. And think about Kevin Durant now who probably has never been on a team in his life from junior high, high school, college pros where he wasn't the best shooter and right now he's at least third. the third best yeah. shooter. That's that's unbelievable. So I'm not I'm not skirting your question. It, it's it's an I don't know. Like can the Clippers beat the Warriors? I don't think so. I, I I really don't. Not as presently constituted if both teams stayed healthy. Uh, could the Clippers beat this new Spurs team without Duncan and with Gasol if both teams were at their strength? Yeah, there's a shot. Probably depends on who has home court. Um, so, I mean, th- there's the mindset you're still maybe the third or fourth best team in the West, which might be the sixth best team in the NBA. So why break it up? No, what I Unless, go No, you go ahead, Mike, actually. I was, when you sort of, when it was, I was on the topic here of Golden State. And even if you talk about the Clippers sort of being right there, top five to seven team in the NBA, which is what they've been since the Chris Paul trade back in the lockout of 2011. But even looking at it, if I even look at it, say, from any other team, 
that's trying to put something together. For example, Boston. Could they sell out every single asset they have? I know you're very good friends with Danny Ainge, and I know you pay very close attention to the Celtics. And the big argument here in Boston is, should they buy their time and maybe wait it out, draft some players, or should they go, go all in? God forbid, trade for a Blake Griffin. Trade a bunch of uh, trade assets also for Russell Westbrook. And put together a seller team this year, no question about it. But would that really be worth it if you have Golden State, which seems to be so far head and shoulders around the NBA, that you could run the risk of a potential great Celtics team expiring the same way a, the clip, this Clippers team from the past five years may have p- possibly already expired? The question you have to ask if you're the Celtics is, can we get to the East? Can we get to the finals from the East? So you don't have to worry about the Warriors because I think if you get there, anybody can win in a given year. I don't think the best team won this year. I really don't. Right, that's true. Um, you can run into an injury. There's no question about it. Like I think, yeah, you can run right into now. something. Bogut went down. The suspension of Green. Otherwise, I don't think Cleveland Curry's wins knee. that series. But oh, yeah, Curry, go ahead. so if you're Boston, you say. Can we get to the finals? Can we beat Cleveland as they are if we go trade for a Griffin, if we go do this? I know this, Larry. You you don't win championships without stars. You have to have superstars in this league to win championships. Um, Blake Griffin is a superstar, but he can't do it alone like a LeBron can. You know, you need... He, he's the kind of player, he needs a supporting cast that will help him get it done. But I don't know. I know Danny's thinking is I'm going to amass assets and I'm going to draft and I might get lucky. And if one of those picks hits and it's a Ben Simmons and he becomes a LeBron or a Magic, then I'm there. Then I do wait it out. Then I do wait for what could come. And then those assets I have, I compile them and go get the perfect complimentary all-stars to somebody great I draft. But you could be Danny and have six picks in a draft and not hit with them. And not that he hasn't. He's got some great guys. But you could you could draft great guys, and it's such a, an undetermined science, and it's imperfect. You could be the Clippers Sometimes for 30 years, right? And the Clippers had high all those high draft I mean, races, all those Larry, Larry, the Clippers had the first pick in the draft the year after the Spurs ticked Tim Duncan. They took a guy, Michael Olowokandi, nobody would even know. And Duncan's been 20 years of playoffs and excellence, and Olowokandi was seven and out and nothing. So there is luck. You've you, you got to get one of those you know, decade-like players if you're really going to do it through the draft. But, uh, you know, I know what they're doing. But if they can get a Griffin and a Westbrook together, heck yeah. You really think that's I mean, a title people, team? You really think that's a the championship team, or is that sort of? I, go ahead. Combine that team with great shooting, and yes, combine that team with great shooting. That team can make it to the East Finals, and they'll they'll give a, a Cleveland a shot, no question. That seems to possibly but, be the game plan if that does fall through, because if the Griffin would sort of be one domino in Boston's, and I know you don't want to go too deep into that but if i do want to stick because you do you've watched almost you've watched more blake griffin than anybody over the last uh since he was drafted in 09 he sat out that that rookie season and you talk about him though as a superstar but at the same time 
he's not a LeBron where you could put him on a team with a bunch of players named Fred, and you're still going to win 40 games. He, out, he needs players on his team. He has deficiencies. He's not the greatest defender. What are his def- deficiencies? Is it his defense? And if I even want to follow up on that, why is he such a, you know, not, why is he not, I wouldn't even want to say good defender. I, mean, I would like to think that he has physical tools to be a plus defender at his position. I think he's one of those guys who forever, high school, college, was such a man among boys. He was so needed, like, that he got in the habit of not getting into foul trouble. So he got in the habit of not going after everything and not, you know, like protecting himself so he was always in the game. Such was the case before Oklahoma and then at Oklahoma. And then even his rookie year in the Clippers, after the one year he sat out, it really was just him and Baron Davis. There wasn't a lot there. And, and you know, they needed him on the court. So I think those are habits that have started to change. Like he's, He's not afraid to take a charge. He's not afraid to now rotate over and, and, and make a play. Uh, I've seen him more than anybody, and it was two and a half years ago when Chris Paul went out for about 30 games, and the guy morphed into, like, the best player in basketball. Right. He was almost an MVP. I think Doc was here. Doc was pushing him for, him for MVP, right? Larry, he was 30 a game with 12 boards and seven and a half assists for about a month and a half. It was LeBron-like, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, nobody can stop this guy, and they couldn't. He was grabbing rebounds and going coast to coast and either dunking or dishing, and I was like, Doc, are you watching what I'm watching? And Doc's like, he's not just a good passer. He's a great passer. And so I saw all that happen, and I feel like, Sometimes he feels like the reins are on him, like when the other guards are in control of the ball. I kind of feel like he can't get to that level all the time. But when Chris went out, he stepped up and said, okay, I can do all that. So it's really an interesting dichotomy. It's almost like Chris and Blake are great together, but if you remove Blake, Chris goes up, way up. And if you remove Chris, Blake also goes way up. But you would never say they're better without one of them. So it's it's really an interesting dilemma for for Doc and the Clippers to kind of decipher, especially with the greatness of the Warriors right now. Yeah, I was even going to ask you, too, because the Clippers did play pretty well for a good portion of the season last year when he got injured and was, was out for a while. I don't even remember. I can't remember right off the top of my head how many games. Was, was that in any way an indictment on Griffin at all? Because he didn't have the best year last year when he was in. No, it became, it became a story and became a narrative, and I think I think therein lies some of the frustration that led to him, you know, even having his incident in Toronto. I think, I think some of the narrative was like, you know, kibitzing with, you know, the equipment guys. Hey, we're winning without you anyway. So those were some wounds that dug deep, and we, we weren't better without him. We survived without him, and did pretty well. I don't know if it was. 45 games he missed, and we went 30 and 15 or something like that. But that that speaks more to me to the coaching of Doc Rivers and the greatness of Chris Paul because as much as I think of Curry 
and Westbrook and other great guards in the league, I don't think you could have put any one of those other guards, anyone, you name one in the NBA, on our team and our roster without Blake in the West and go 30 and 15 through that span. I think only Chris could have done that. So... Is there any, I mean, I'm still sort of sticking on the, on the season that he had last year, and I still like look at it as a statistical outlier. At least I hope, because as you said, it was I believe it was the 2014 season. That was the year I, I think he finished third in the league in MVP when he was a top right. five player in the league, and that was the year Doc really pushed hard for him because he Doc Doc's argument was in terms of most valuable he is valued because if you took him off the Clippers in 2014 that was the year they beat the Spurs in the first round they finished third in the West but if you had taken Griffin off that team you were looking at the Clippers being almost a non-playoff team but last year I mean he just didn't have the best year when he was in and when he was out the Clippers actually played very well you say it was more of just a narrative or whatnot but there were still I mean if you still look at many statistics his rebounding and I, listen we are from Boston or I am from Boston I we glass half empty type people so we look at every every possible way for the negative and then one <laughs> possible thing too are the rebounding numbers those have gone down his rebounding rate last year i think was the lowest I, I probably i think he did have the lowest rebounding rate but one argument to that is is because deandre jordan has been just gobbling up more potential rebounds so a little bit of that or maybe possibly blake's losing a little bit of athleticism as he gets a little later in his 20s i mean what is it is, is it probably what i just said earlier I don't think he's losing any athleticism, uh, not one bit. I think he preserves it a little bit. He doesn't try and go dunk on the world anymore because uh, it got to the point where when he was doing it, guys were taking him out, and he was getting a little fearful of you know some nasty falls as high as he jumps, I think. I don't know that for a fact, but he hasn't lost any athleticism because you can go back to that first-round series against the Spurs a year ago. So go back to May of fifteen. And all of a sudden, he was dunking on Tiago Splitter and Duncan and guys, and I was just like, and Aaron Baines, I was like, oh, my gosh, where's that been? So it's been there. He just, he just didn't call upon it, and all of a sudden it was time to raise up your game a little, and he was magnificent. So you don't have to go as far back as 14 to find the brilliance of Griffin. That series against the Spurs, he was sensational. Yes, this last year was a myriad of things. I, I, I don't know what wasn't right from the get-go, but certainly the injuries and then the incident kind of really are the things that stick out. And it's, it's a forgetful year, a forgetful year for the team. They lose to Portland in the first round. Portland had nobody. Remember, Portland lost four of their five starters, and they were up 2-0. So I know they got – hurt in that series and Chris Paul went out so it changed everything but it's a year they all want to forget Do you see Blake as a player who could age well if he does ever end up losing his athleticism as he does gets close to his 30s because that I mean that happens to everybody those hormones aren't rocking and rolling but he's improved so much since he's come in the league I mean he's a much better shooter he's not in he's not a great shooter but he still can at least shoot now from the outside as opposed to he really almost couldn't shoot at all when he first came in the league you talked about his passing ability specifically from a year and a half, two years ago. Could he be a player who ages gracefully as he gets you know, into the latter days of his 20s and then even into his 30s? The guys who do that, Larry, are the unbelievable shooters. 
not not the good shooters, but the great shooters. So the guards who last are the great shooters or the phenomenal athletes. So you're talking about the top 1% of the shooters or the top 1% of the athletes or talents. So like an MJ, I'll also give you a Gary Payton, calling him a great talent, not a great shooter. And then you look at the guards who lasted. They're the really, really great shooters. They're Nash. They're Reggie Miller. Yeah, they're the only Ray one who didn't last was Jason Kidd, who wasn't a great shooter. Correct. So, and he still played till 38. But you know what I mean. So it, it's the great shooters who go on. Stockton kind of defies that. But I think I put him in number one percent of talent. You know, and guts. And people think he didn't have a great NBA body. He had an unbelievable body. He was wiry, strong. Long arms, huge hands. His hands were way bigger than mine, and I'm six nine. So, and then you look at the bigs who last, and again, I think it's the phenomenal athletes who kind of are able to refine it because of their talent, or the super long-limbed players, uh, Sam Perkins, because the athleticism is gone, but the length of the arms. Allows him to be a factor. Duncan is another shot. example of that, right? But then Malone defies that. Malone is built more like Blake, a physical marvel in his twenties and early thirties. Was shape. kept himself in great shape and played in a system that allowed him to do things the same way over and over again. He became a creature of habit. So if Blake finds that system where it just, you know, is great for all his skills, then the answer is yes. If he becomes a guy who bounces, you know, next year we'll know, free agency. But if he bounces to a couple teams, then I'm not sure I'm not sure he lasts beyond 36 with a whole lot of, you know, factor ability. All right, I'll get ready to wrap this up right now. There's no better way to do so by asking you this. Hypothetically, and you can do this without naming names because even if, even if with this, we'd assume this would be like a three-team trade if it was on Boston's end. It's, you know, L.A. certainly isn't in the market for draft picks, one would assume. But what would you feel as sort of Blake's value on the open market? Or, you know, what would you see the Clips getting in return? What you would want in return? And I'll ask the follow-up right now. Do you think he's back in L.A. come fall? I absolutely do. So, I mean, I answered the second one first, but I, I think they're I think they're sticking. So you don't even have to I mean, really answer the first question. But you can go ahead and have if you yeah, want. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, he's, he's got value. He's got great value. He's 27 years old. I mean, he's unbelievable. And I would not give up on him. if he, Put it this way. If I were in charge of things and I had those three guys, as my potential first-team All-NBA guy, he's not the one I'm trading. He'd be the last one I was trading. That's how highly I think of him. High character. Last year's incident was an outlier. It just happened. It's a great guy who had a bad day. The guy is he's as genuine and real, and I'd want him on my team. Michael Smith, Clippers color commentator for Fox Sports West. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Clips TV Smith. Mike, thanks so much for stopping by and being so flexible as always. We love you for it. Enjoy the final round of the British Open, man. Okay, guys. Thank you, Larry. I'm, I'm rooting for Phil. Again, Michael Smith, Clippers color man, and yes, former Celtic.
that Mike Smith. And I think, I think he did it. I think Mike sold me on it. Because I, I tell you, earlier in the week, I've been tweeting far more frequently from my at CLNS underscore LHR handle, conversing with listeners of this show. And I've seemingly been asking this question daily. And that is, is Westbrook, Riffin, Horford a title team? And, I mean, a title team under this current environment in the NBA with how good Golden State is. That's why I've been really skittish on Boston emptying out the war chest and rainy day funds for return of that particular triumvirate. I've stated on this show, talks between LA and Boston, maybe even Danny and Doc themselves, they're literally ongoing as we're listening to this broadcast. So it goes without saying, right, stay tuned to CLNSRadio.com, huh, and download the CLNS Radio mobile app. Celtic Stuff Live Monday, especially as there are possibly new developments here. But both of these teams are certainly at stages where it is now warranting analysis and reactionary discussions from us here and everyone else around the media. And as you heard with Mike, there are some things that concern me with Blake, and largely because there are things that concern me with everything in the world, with just how pessimistic I am of, of the outlook of society that that I have but why has Blake been a less than stellar defender in his career despite his physical tools and abilities will he age well if he loses some of his athleticism was last year a bit of an outlier both from him individually and with the Clippers playing as well as they did without him and really is it worth it on Boston's end to go all in at this very moment with how good Golden State is as they're fielding no higher pole, one of the most talented teams in NBA history. And, I mean, the more I think it over, the more I'm leaning towards, actually, to quote Mike, heck yeah. Quick little caveat here, too. Uh, before I get to give my reasons why, while talks are pretty hot with Los Angeles... As has been reported by a few outlets just a couple days ago, Steve Bopet actually from Boston Herald, there as of now has been little talk with OKC over Westbrook. However, it does not take much to see. And this was the premise of our good friend Howard Beck, who was just on a few weeks, two weeks ago, right? On episode, was it 164 of Selling Speed? Howard Beck's piece for the Bleach Report earlier this week that Boston, of course, I mean, they do not stop at Griffin if and when they are able to complete that deal. Once they do it, I mean, they're all in, baby. And the only thing that stopped a, a Griffin deal as of this moment is because Boston is trying to retain as many assets as they feasibly can so they can then turn right around and make that one final move to complete their next title contending team. So anyways, I'll go with what Mike told us. Don't worry about last year with Blake. He's still 27. He is still in great physical condition. Still an exceptional athlete. Hasn't lost any of it. Although, he never really fully answered my question on on the rebounding. But anyways, you know what? If Blake isn't the best defender, he would fortunately be playing next to a player, one Mr. Al Horford, who is. Could help cover up that semi-deficiency. But will that be an issue if another team goes small? Will that be an issue if Boston's roster is near barren from trying to acquire these players? And they have some guys that can combat that, but not anymore? Yes, yeah, yeah, certainly. And a specific matchup against Golden State, 
against their death squad, death lineup, whatever, that would be a major problem. But you get to Golden State when you do in the finals. You get there. Where, you know, as Mike said, anything can happen. A couple of rabid Celtics fans could take a lead pipe to Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's shins, right? I mean, anything can happen. Just as it did a few, a few weeks ago with Steph Curry running out a knee. I mean, the injury to Bogut, Cleveland being able to stretch the series. The, but I would, to get to this, really, I'd, I'd roll the dice that Gl- Griffin, excuse me, Blake Griffin, can still be that player that he was, I mean, even in 2015, let alone in 2014, when he was 39 MVP voting and has routinely posted some of the highest player efficiency ratings in the NBA the last three to four seasons. And while that's not the best team to combat small ball, the spacing with Horford and Griffin will, that's, that's fine. That's not much of an issue. And there's also that. I mean, Boston is going to be able to overpower so many teams with that type of size, that type of skill size on many nights. And they would be so fast. That would be such a fast team, let alone with Russ in the mix too, right, to, to go along with it. And speaking of fast, right, I mean, but oh my goodness, would that be a fun team to watch? And I mean, I don't want to say, you know, we're, we're Boston fans. We're all about championships. We do watch this for entertaining purposes. There are plenty of other things that we could be doing with our time. And that would be a joy to watch, especially in the regular season when it can get very jeery. That would be very entertaining. And Westbrook, who is a top five player in the league, being on a team where he would be the undisputed alpha dog and would no doubt be the guy who has the ball in his hands at the end of games. Well, that wasn't the case a few years ago, where it was that Batman and Robin type of thing. But he'd be playing with two players who can get plenty of offense with it being created for them rather than having it to do it on their own. I mean... It would it would be something, and it is it is fun to fantasize about, and that's even saying something for me because I'm usually against this, but you are very far in this, and it would be something I can say that. And lastly, like I said, minimal Russ talk on the show. He's a freaking mother effer, and Boston fans would absolutely love him. I can tell you that. Forget the fashion nonsense. I mean, you see that with him. He is a hyper competitive killer. He would be revered here. And there's not much to that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But there's so many questions, discussions. Who would Boston have to trade? Seemingly everybody, right? And seemingly everything they have. I mean, ideally they could keep a Crowder and or a Bradley, but likely neither. Both would be perfect roll guys, glue guys when you have that. I mean, Crowder especially. I mean, we were talking about the small ball deficiencies. He'd be your small ball four when you ever have to go to that and your elite perimeter defender. Same with Bradley uh, on another team's guard, i.e. Steph Curry. But seemingly both would be gone. Biggest question, Isaiah Thomas. What about him? He's been the guy consulting with Danny over the, uh, the, the personnel moves, recruiting players. I mean, can Boston trade him after all that with all that he's done seemingly off the court? I mean, he would likely be coming off the bench in this particular dream scenario. But I actually got to leave that to the Celtics Stuff Live guys tomorrow and to you because we're kind of running out of time here. Respond to us on the Celtics Beat Facebook page. Take part in this discussion. Very interested to hear what you think. Again, too, tweet at me at CLNS underscore LHR. The Facebook page where a lot of this is going on, like it, too. You are in 
a drawing to win three free weeks of Blue Apron deliveries, almost $650 worth of food. Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. It is the way to keep this show going in a way because we're, I mean, we're, we're done in this space. There's not enough time, and there's just an absolute ton to talk about, a ton, much more to break down regarding all this. And like I said, I could barely get to Summer League on my end, for God's sakes. Jalen, wish you tore it up a little more, dude, and went a little more Chris Dunn. Could have made all these potential deals far easier and far more intriguing. But let's continue this on social media because I got a cap episode number 166 here. Music for this show is provided by Will Rock, Chuck Beats, and Steph Legrato. Again, be sure to follow us and converse with us on social media. Twitter at Celtics underscore Beat. Facebook, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Today's show was brought to you by Blue Apron and American Farmers Network. Love to thank our guests, Brian Robb and Mike Smith, for their return appearances. And as always, thank you to the audience for making this the number one Celtics podcast on iTunes. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host, Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.